everyone. Welcome to the 173rd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by Katie Harbin. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we have a writing-directing duo on. They are Andrew Reimer and Jeff Chan, and they have a movie that is out on VOD just now. Uh, it just ended its theatrical run, and it's called Plus One. It stars Maya Erskine from Pen15 and Jack Quaid, son of... Dennis Quaid, which is pretty cool. Unfortunately, not Randy. But uh, but we had like a really awesome conversation with them. They're just two guys. They met in high school. What I like about the conversation is, yes, they direct together. Yes, they write together. But they've also separated a lot. They're not like it's not like some duos where you're, they just make you so jealous of their relationship. You know? Yeah, they're they are in tune together for sure. But they're not like. A weird twin speak symbiote sort of situation yeah exactly so i don't know i learned a lot from them and just the the path that they traveled to get their movie financed and made is really interesting yeah spoiler alert guys it takes a long time to make a movie and so we go into all of the ups and downs of casting and things falling through and finding financing and all of that stuff It's kind of, you know, really illustrates what it takes to make one of these things. Yeah. Second spoiler alert, the way they finally got their movie financed is by just shooting some stuff on their own and showing it to people. Lesson learned. Done and done. Before we talk to Reimer and Chan, uh, we actually got a listener question that Matt and I really enjoyed, and we thought we'd talk about it real quick because it is, uh, we believe, a rather common question. We're kind of dealing with this sort of question uh, ourselves pretty regularly. So Yeah. So it concerns pitching shows and movies and creative work. So our listener says, I'm chatting and pitching some ideas to a producer, and at this point, they're just ideas. They don't have a completed script to share, but I do have pages of notes, etc. But if I were to send over a one-pager, as I've heard you mention on the podcast, what does that exactly mean? Is it a Word document? Is there any normal format to these short treatments? Thanks. I was so excited to get this question because literally I've been cranking these documents out pretty steadily for the last two weeks, I want to say. And you call them one pagers, right? I call them two pagers, but oh, you do? I do, but it kind of it doesn't matter. That is a you can also call them a leave behind. You know, it's basically just a digestible document that is a concise version of explaining your idea to people. And the thing that's I think essential to think about with these, in a practical sense, is that. You're going to pitch someone, you're going to talk to this producer or someone, an agent or a manager, anybody. They're going to have to relay your idea a couple more times. Right. And so you have to pitch them the pitch. You have to pitch them the pitch. And also this document is the thing that they're going to be forwarding around to give everyone else on their team context for what this idea is. And so if you give them the awesome version of this pitch, then you're making their job easier and therefore they have an easier time selling it to their team members because those team members don't have the benefit of sitting down with you and being charmed by you and you explaining any questions that they may have. All they've got is the person that you met with and whatever they can forward you. So that's what a leave behind one pager, two pager script meant you know, which is uh, maybe a slightly different thing than this. Um, Oren, you kind of responded to this listener. What did you say? Well, what I said is actually something I'm trying to find the tweet right now, but I think it's Seth Worley tweeted it 
which uh, he had retweeted somebody else, but they had said something kind of interesting about how a pitch should work. And it should be exactly the same way you would tell someone a story. You just kind of give them kind of the first sentence of what your story is about. And if you see that they're interested, you keep going and you keep revealing more and more things. But the worst thing you can do is start off with like, okay, so there's six characters. There's Mike, there's Donna, there's Jenny, you know. So to me that the way you structure your document is the same. Uh, You start out with the broadest things and you go in more detail. So I had responded to our listener by saying that I normally have some sort of format like this, but it changes based on the, the project, of course. So I start with the title, the name of the show. I usually include a subheading that gives the genre and the format, like for instance, like it's a you know thrilling rom-com, an episodic thrilling rom-com or whatever. Then I'll put a log line where it's like, people say one sentence, but usually I like three sentences. I We disagree here very strongly. Oh, a, yeah. a log line's a, a sentence. A line? Yeah, it's a line. Yeah, but I I feel like you, sometimes I, you, you have, you're conflating a log line and a premise. I think. Yeah, I guess I just I I don't want my log line to say like when so and so finds out that this and this, then this thing and well the, so antics then, ensue, and so I I try to sometimes I use the period to add sure. impact, and I no one is ever going to be like oh boy this person doesn't know what they're doing. Three sentences. <laughs> right. Not or, long sentences. Not or, like a paragraph. Or, though they may be like, oh boy, one run-on sentence. That is a little bit of a red flag. So it doesn't really matter. The point is like a very, very concise version. The shortest possible version you can tell, but, and I'll get to this in a second, I, but mm-hmm. what, what I'm going to say about tone applies to the logline also. Um, so after the logline, I try to give the story, right? Which could be, if it's a movie... I would at least want to touch on all three acts and mm-hmm. some you know, developments in the middle and like why people are excited about this. Um, and then I, I will describe the tone and style and sometimes I'll compare it to other things. Sometimes I won't just kind of depends on if I feel like the audience likes that or not, like the audience meaning mm-hmm. the person I'm sending this to. But I think that whatever the tone is that I'm describing here should be evident from the writing should be evident without a doubt. If it's a comedy, the logline should be funny, right? Yeah. If it's a thriller, the logline should be mysterious and and tense. Um, And then something I've been doing lately, which, you know, everyone does in like an in-person pitch is I've been kind of talking about the inspiration or where the idea came from. Mm -hmm. Um, Or maybe it's based on a script or a story or a person I know really short, like one or two sentences on that. Um, and then if it's a TV show or anything episodic, I'd probably talk about the characters after that and the seasons. Um, so yeah, so that's pretty much like what my document would cover. And, and again, the as little as possible, but kind of s- setting every sentence up with the idea that there's stuff underneath. As economical as possible is, yeah. is really the, the takeaway there because it, it does need to be a, a quick fast little thing so so my formula is basically oh, wait, wait, so i'm just gonna yeah. add one thing sorry for interrupting and then and then i try telling people what is in my document out loud and see if i can make it all the way to the end without boring them and yeah. i really i'm a really big prep pitch practicer uh and every time i meet with my writing partner i'm like julie so did you pitch the show to anyone and she's like nope and I'm like, okay, well, I pitched it to seven people. This is what they said. This is what this person said. This is like this. Yeah. Um, and I'm, and then she says, what did Matt say, though? Uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of something like that. <laughs> and also, it's important to say 
you can do this however you want. You can keep it consistent for every time you ever make this document. You can change it up every single time. There's no there's no formula for this at all. It's really just like how can you best concisely and economically get your idea across in a quick document for people to pass around. So my philosophy for these documents is that I try to think of them as a storytelling document as well, right? So I, I'm i trying to give out information with the similar sort of like headings and things like that that you're describing. Sometimes I'll go ahead and say characters, the world, all of that stuff. But I'm trying to draw the reader down the document through the story as I'm introducing these elements, right? So right. typically... Do you ever change the headlines? Because like... Yes. Like I don't call it the world. I'll say like, you know, the reason sure. it's so interesting or the, you yeah. know, Arkansas, whatever, because or, I'm or, trying to not say the same thing people have seen before. Or even cleaner would be like, you know, if you were trying to lead into the environment that you're talking about, you know, maybe you would end the previous paragraph with an ellipsis. Like, and it all takes place in, and then in bold, right? You know, strange town, USA, right? This it's a world where X, Y, and Z, you know, the highest selling supercuts in, yeah, St. Louis, in St. Louis, yeah. And then that you would put in bold and kind of break out. I like to play with formatting a lot with this. Um, but so the big differences between what you and I do, I think, is I put my characters way higher, but I'm also the important thing about characters, it's not really super important that you know much beyond like quick archetypes but what is important is like what what they want and what's keeping them from getting what they want right like what basically what their arc is and how they relate to and for a movie you would also do this Mm -hmm. yeah yeah story and theme because i'm trying to bury story points in these character descriptions right so in a movie typically right or or in a tv show um you get a basic understanding of your setting and circumstances and then you meet your main character and then your main character teaches you a few more things about the world and the circumstances of the problem and then maybe you meet the villain right after that right so i'm trying to kind of add that philosophy into this document so you're you're getting character and story as you read down and that's why i was excited about it i like it's a thing that i swear by it makes it a lot more fun um, for everybody. See, it's funny because I 100% agree with what you just said, but because I agree with that is why I don't lead with a list of characters. No, no, not lead. I just put it higher. So so my order goes title, mm-hmm. premise, right? Sometimes I'll throw a tag in there and sometimes I'll do like a little bit of like a joke or like, uh, like a, a tease of some sort, like a question like, you know, what if the podcast that you've been listening to for 172 episodes ended? Right catastrophe catastrophe right that's, you know that's the premise and for catastrophe that's the, exactly you know i kind of like play with it a little bit there's a little bit of marketing sometimes i'll throw that stuff in italics if i want to get real fancy so the 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 premise will kind of like set up the the story and the movie and the tone a little bit and then i'll close with a log line right so imagine a world where this this this, and oh, this after happens. the premise after the premise you know and then i would say uh podcast catastrophe uh, a, a hilarious film about two podcasters. And then I would go into meet Oren. He's terrible, but good thing. He's got his best friend, Matt cut to Matt, you know, and that, that's how I would like <laughs> dole out the story basically. And then I would go into world. If I have episode ideas or season arcs, I would do that. 
Then I go themes, visual style, production style sometimes if I want to talk about the ways in which we're making the show. And then I would throw my closer and personal tidbits there. So I'd be like, you know, it just so happens that I happen to have a podcast and it's, you know, really been um, a great part of my life, blah, 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 blah. I can't wait to bring this to the screen with you. Is that the same way you would format it in person? Or you would order it in person? Um, Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. And I think that also a thing that I've gotten a note from in terms of pitching is like making sure that I am adding enough context to the circumstances of the story up top. You know, I think oftentimes I give you the note of like, just tell me what the show's about. And you're like, wait, no. It's 2019. We're in a living room in Silver Lake. Yeah, dining room, but yeah, sure. Sure, dining room for me. And I'm like, no, tell me about the podcast part. And I think that uh, recently I've been getting the note of like, well, you can't assume that everybody knows what a podcast is right. in this scenario, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I'm pitching things that aren't, that are worlds that are less familiar than podcasting. Right. But if I was doing a show about podcasting, I would maybe have to say like, you know, in 2019, there's 750,000 podcasts and, you know, only two of them are good. Right. Well, that is what's so hard about pitching sci-fi is if you can't pitch your world in two sentences, the show becomes really complicated. And that's a show yeah. that I pitched a couple of years ago. The like setup for the world is like already leads to so many questions that I think sometimes people aren't on the journey. They get. Because they're the, trying, they're like, wait, but why 10,000 people? You know, well, like, and you know, it's funny. I, um, I pitched a, like a, a soft sci-fi concept and just got notes from my manager today. And he was like, he loved it, but he was like, I don't, you need to explain this a little bit more clearly. And it was again, the exact same thing of like trying to just get into the story and why we care about these characters dealing with this circumstance. But that's why I think if you can, if you can get the rules clear concisely up top, I think you can dole out more plot than you realize in those character descriptions. Yeah. I guess I think everyone knows characters are the most important part of a show, like an episodic show, especially, but there's nothing that puts me to sleep faster than like a bunch, like a list of character names, unless the characters are insane that's that's exactly what i'm saying that's the opposite of what you need like all of that stuff that you're describing of like i don't need to i need to know their age ethnicity if it's pertinent and what they want relative to these other characters right but isn't it do you have a section called characters or you're just introducing them as the story goes along introducing them as the story goes along yeah so i guess i would do the same i would just like when i say characters at the end it's like if it's a tv show it would be like here are the it's like almost the same as the seasons it's the characters is like the season arc because it's like you know here's matt and we're gonna follow him from being like a pretty successful college humor director to a struggling podcaster (laughs) over the course of the season you know but then in act one but well so i think maybe the way what i'm saying is that by the time you're done with the premise logline and characters you know most of the pro- of the pilot. Right. And so then when you get into episodes, we understand all of those relationships well enough to know how the hijinks will ensue. And then, so I can just do log lines of other episode ideas. Right. Well, so the other thing I've been doing lately, and it's really based on how I write my treatments, 
I used to do all my commercial treatments exactly the same. I'd start with like uh, an intro. I'd try to tell a personal story why I connect to the material in some way. And then I would go into the concept and I'd go into whatever, like performance. Um, but my new thing, and I will apply it to also like narrative stuff, is what is the most interesting part of this thing? Like what mm-hmm. is the hook? Just yeah, say sure. the hook. If the hook is how we shoot it, we're shooting it on reverse, then let's start with that. If the hook is we got this cast attached, if the hook is... This is based on this award-winning novel. Let's start with this. And like, this is why I'm super pumped about this. And Mm -hmm. it might be a character. It might be like, this is about my grandpa and he did this thing. Mm -hmm. It might be this world. This world is so freaking insane. Look at this and this and this. And so that's why I don't think there's like a one-size-fits-all answer for me at least. Certainly, And it's because just pitch it in the most exciting way and stop pitching when it's not exciting. Anymore. <laughs> That's fair enough. You know, I have one follow up question for you actually, because I think, I think maybe the thing that we disagree about the most, because I think we agree on 99% of it is the personal anecdote. Mm. And I think, I wonder if maybe I think you lead in person with a personal anecdote because you don't, when you go in to pitch with someone or meet with any human being, you know, you say hello, you ask how their weekend was. There's a little bit of chit chat and then that can segue into the personal story of like, oh, it just so happens that I do have a podcast. Um, and that's actually why I really wanted to make the show with you guys and then go into the pitch about the podcast show. Right. Yeah. Whereas in a document, if you don't know, you don't have that segue. Well, you know where I would put that personal anecdote at the end. No, in the email. Oh, oh, that's good. I'd that's say, good. hey, this is, especially if it's coming from a rep. But like, remember, those hey, di- this is Matt Enlow. He has a podcast and he has a show about podcasters. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Based, based on his own experiences. However, you have to remember that that email will only, that will, email will probably, that thread will die at that first person. And the document is meant to be able to be passed al- along. Yeah, I mean, I guess infinitely. like the dream scenario so both, really. is that someone reads it and is like, Oh, this is awesome. I'm going to afford it. Hey, this is from a guy that was a podcast that has a podcast and it's based on his podcast. I mean, that's true. I think that there is a lot of wisdom in if you can feed them what they should say to the people they're passing it along to in that email, that's very smart. If it's like, oh my God, these guys are actual podcasters and this is the best script I've ever read. Right. Well, so this show that I'm now pitching the you know julie and i are pitching about the podcast sure sure sure. yeah no but the this show it's a repitch of an older show of ours and and you know was played like kind of placed in the slam dance competition and in the original draft we didn't like mention that at all and then um when we resent it i added you know by the way this is based on this like uh this Mm -hmm. script we wrote that is that won the slam dance writing competition so i feel like it already like you know, validated without it without a doubt. A um, yeah. And putting that early on so that people are like, okay, well I'm not quite mm-hmm. sure I understand this, but I'll keep going because clearly there's something here. So I think you've illuminated a really smart point though, that there's the body of the email and then there's the document. And I think that, yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think leading with it in the email because there, there are two separate things. The email is the chit chat. That's the small talk mm-hmm. before you get into the pitch. Right. And then one other thing to answer our listeners question was about the document, the literal Mm -hmm. like computer format, file format. And if I'm sending it to the last person that is going to read it, like the person I'm presenting it to, 
I always send a PDF, PDF if I'm sending it to like a production company or anyone that is going to might potentially edit it before they pass it on. I send a PDF and a Word document. Yeah. That's, or or that's InDesign or Pages or whatever. And you can throw some graphics in there and things like that if you want, but like it's not it's not meant to be as flashy document wise as things further down the line are going to be. You yeah. Know? I think you know, obviously as like a director, I almost sometimes feel like I can present a tone or style a little better with like a picture or something. So I try to put one in if I think it is very relevant. If you've got a grand slam image for yeah. sure. Yeah, definitely. But I wouldn't put like, here's 20 inspirational images yeah. or anything. Yeah. Yeah. I would say if you're doing more oh, than and one I would, image a page, you really, really need to think about it. Yeah. Oh, and I've seen like one pagers and stuff where like they'll have a cover page and it'll be like a real cheesy picture or like just I'll hate the font or the time. like if it looks amateur in any way whatsoever yeah. it's like such a giant turnoff to me that like I'd be so much happier if it was just like just clean you know yeah a clean yeah legible font even Times New Roman is great yeah totally honestly like if you're thinking about the font stop though sometimes yeah I will do the title in comic sense in uh in comic sense in a fun font like i did a uh like if it's a comic book thing you know you can use the comic book font as long as it's totally totally legible um awesome well thanks so much everybody before we hop into our conversation with jeff and reimer uh here's a little word from our sponsor so today we've got Zach Lepofsky, the creator of Shotlister, which is an app that helps you manage and create shot lists on the fly as you're shooting. Zach, I'd love to know, how do you use Shotlister to collaborate better with your crew? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that Shotlister does really great is we have something called CrewSync, which basically allows you to share your shot list with everybody. And if you're feeling brave, it allows them to actually see exactly how you're doing. So, you know, Shotlister tells you you're right now you're about an hour behind or you're three hours behind or you're 30 minutes ahead. Sounds like a recurring nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> well, most people's instinct is to never let anyone know how they're doing. Um, but it's been my experience and a lot of other people have said the same thing. But actually, when you share that information, even with the producers, usually the producers are breathing down your neck, wanting to see how you're doing. And it, actually, when you share that information and they see that you know how you're doing and you have a plan, all they want to know is you have a plan. You know you're an hour behind and you're doing something about it. And so when you have an app that is glowing red when you're an hour behind <laughs> and, and you're willing to sh show it to them and you're saying but we're going to do this we're going to move this here and we're going to get back on schedule i've found they actually end up leaving you alone and give you a lot more freedom because you're actually being transparent and a lot of other people have said the same thing it's a different way of working and you don't have to work that way but shotlister lets you sync it with people even in anywhere in the world anyone who has an internet connection can see live how you're doing so zach how does cruise sync work exactly basically anyone who has the app uh just gets an email and they can sync to your project you invite them just like you would invite them to a google doc and you have to have what we call shotlister pro which is basically our subscription service that comes with a bunch of professional features but they don't so anyone who is a crew member just just needs to have the app and you know they'll be able to subscribe to whatever projects you have but zach what do i do if my crew doesn't have a copy of shotlister <laughs> we'll give them one for free free you say that can't be possible wait are you serious you're giving away three copies of the app <laughs> yeah oh. um basically we're gonna give away 50 free copies every month so all people have to do 
is email just shoot it pod at shotlister.com. And if we haven't given away 50 that month, we'll send uh, them one and next month we'll do it again. So forever. And what do they need to write in the email? Just let us know what platform you're on. We have Shotlister on Mac OS, iOS, Android. So just let us know which one of those you want and we'll send it to you. That's awesome. That sounds too good to be true. <laughs> well, you have such wonderful listeners. We just want to give back. Ain't it the truth? Yeah, the real reason is that we think that once you use it, you're going to love it and you're going to tell other people about it. So, And that's what we hear from lots of people. You know, they become evangelists. Once they use it, they they can't think of any other way of using it and they tell their DP to get it and they tell their AD to get it. So we just think, you know, we stand by the product. It's built by filmmakers and filmmakers love it. So if they get a free copy, they'll they'll tell other people about it and uh, that's what we want. So. Email just shoot upon at shotlister.com right now. Get your free copy. Jeff Chan, Andrew Reimer, right? Hi, guys. Hey, welcome, guys. Hello. We got it right. Good. Do you guys have a team you name? You did correct. You did get them both names A correct. team name? Yes. We don't have an official one. We get called Reimer and Chan sometimes. Crimer. Jeff and Reimer. Crimer. No, Crimer. You know, I've heard Crimer before. Yeah. Trimer. Crimer a river. Chromeo. No. Anything yeah. you want. Chromeo? <laughs> sure. I like that. <laughs> Great. So what do you guys do? Uh, we are filmmakers. We, <laughs> we write, we direct, we produce. So we're extras sometimes. We're, yeah. Whatever. We're semi-effective ads. Whatever a project needs. Yeah. We'll, we'll happily. Yeah. I was trying to remember, Andrew. I think we, when we first met, were you ading? I have producing? done literally all of it. I'm very bad at recording sound, but uh-huh. I've done it. Sure. Uh, yeah. I I have messed up everybody who has ever asked me to record sound for their project. <laughs> but I've done it a number of Intentionally, times. Intentionally. Have, no. have you ever DP? Failing up. Uh, nobody. Ha- uh, yeah. No, I think I ruined one of your movies in film school. Did you shoot something? I, it was all out of focus. Remember? That's right. <laughs> I didn't understand. Yeah, you, the focal plane. You cost me the, a couple thousand dollars. Oh. No, I did not. Yeah, it was I had one to of those pay black and white get movies. It, the film exposed. I had to yeah, do all. sure. They did that for free. Can you Imagine my face yeah. when I was looking I at that coming out. So you're dating yourselves, guys. Yeah. Um, so you met in film school then? We did. Awesome. Technically, yeah. we met in high school, but um, oh, wow. basically, we met in film school. Yeah. yeah. Jeff had Jeff grew up in Jersey. I grew up in uh, Los Angeles. He had a friend <laughs> uh, who moved from his town to my town, became my friend, and started telling Jeff about his cool new California friends. So, we would talk to him. His name was TJ. Shout out, TJ. Were you wearing like sunglasses? Oh. I'm trying to figure out why he thought. You, you ever cool. watch that show Laguna Beach? Yeah, <laughs> you got it. That's Andrew. <laughs> I'm from the OC. Oh, so really? I, well, I I, so I was a Jersey theater nerd. Separate theater and nerd, not mm-hmm. just theater nerd, but like theater gamer and, and board game player. And <laughs> right. I, my, you're a gamer, but you did like Dungeons and Dragons. That's right. I did it all. <laughs> and my friend TJ moved to uh, La Cunada, Andrew's town right before senior year and he was like you gotta visit you gotta come meet my new friends they're so cool you gotta come to La Cunada wait till you see La Cunada hey their schools are really good yeah Yeah. that's true true. look look what they made and so I came and visited uh, spring break of my senior year and I met Reimer and his cohorts these like wakeboarding (laughs) trucker hat wearing OC fanatic. Ashton Kutcher was very popular at the time. Sure, sure, you sure. loved the OC. Anyway, sure, I, was, I, did. I was really intimidated because sure. Reimer also, he was like stuff of urban legend because he was interning on the movie a Cinderella Story. Reimer was the stuff of legend because allegedly Hilary Duff had a crush on Reimer. What? Because he was the other guy that was like her age on set Ooh. and he, he was this cool. And she didn't know any other children. 
Well, because she didn't know anybody else. Yeah, she really was not. But it became like the the fact that I interned on a set became this conflated into this thing that she had a crush on me, which was not correct. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry, I've no, gone no. so far off. No, no, no. Yeah, no, you guys no. started saying you don't like origin stories, and here I we know. are. That's no, okay. no, That's we, okay. we don't so not sorry. like origin stories. We don't like unrelatable, like totally not applicable. Right. So and, like, and anyone can relate, anyone can relate to Hillary Duff having like, a crush no on takeaways. No, Specifics but, are good too. But yeah. it, this is the first time I think we've had a director's duo, especially ones that knew each other from childhood. That's yeah, interesting. Sure. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay, so here's what happens. And I do think something that's interesting is that like we have a lot of directors that grew up in LA and they have like a different relationship with the film business than like people that moved here. You know, sure. I, yeah. when they decided to. So, Andrew, did your parents work in the industry? My dad was a screenwriter. There so my go. dad yeah. wrote the uh, uh, the Big Mama's House movies. Sure. He I didn't, also that, wrote the Rio movies. Oh, the uh, animated he, ones? Yeah, the animated ones. The, oh, wow. the animated bird movies. That's uh, a big deal. He... He uh, he passed away in like 2012, but yeah, he was a, a screenwriter for years and years, and uh, that was kind of what I grew up uh, familiar with. And Jeff knew my dad while he was around and all that. And but yeah, so anyway, we met making a really bad short film while we were in high school, and then oh, uh, it was your bad. It short was my film. bad short film. It was not Jeff's. I was making, I believe it was a Blair Witch knockoff, and I didn't have anyone to play the ghost, so I made the new kid who came from. New Jersey, put on a sheet and walk out into the haunted woods. And no, into an abandoned, insane asylum. And I was like, I've seen this movie. The nerdy Asian kid, get the cool LA guys, put a sheet over his head and say, walk up those stairs. Right. But then I, you know, the trip was great. Reimer told me that he had gotten into NYU for film early decision. I didn't know where I was going to go to college yet, but I go back to Ridgewood, New Jersey, and I'm talking to my other friend, Matt McBrayer, about this. Um, and he's like, how are TJ's new friends? I was like, they're great. There's this guy, Reimer, who thinks he's going to go to, well, he's going to NYU for film. And he's like, oh, cool. Anyway, four months later, both Matt and I had gotten into NYU, regular decisions. And uh, he, Matt calls me and he's like, dude, I just got my roommate assignment and you're not going to believe who it is. And I was like, who? He's like, that guy, Andrew Reimer. Just total coincidence, so like just wild. chance. So what's interesting to me about that, though, also, is like NYU doesn't have a campus, right? So like in terms of like bonding with people and like it's not like everyone gets to hang out on the quad there's no hacky sack to be played or anything do you know what i mean there's so hacky like, sack but it's just also with anyone from new york who wants to play hacky sack sure, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah which is a different experience but yeah so, you know but don't I mean? you guys like go to like the same like spoken word concerts and things it was uh, very new york uh, to, to, to what you're saying i think very quickly we i mean basically the jeff's my roommate was jeff's high school friend jeff's roommate was our friend john daigle who to this, I mean, all of us are still very close friends. John edited Plus One. Matt McBrayer edits Pen15. Like, all of us still, I mean, it's 15 years later, and we all, sure. like, yeah. from basically oh, freshman year. Pen15. There you go. Uh, no, but, uh, you know, all of uh, our friends, like, met, you know, in the kind of cu- first couple of years of school, and it just kind of stuck. That was, like, it because it's such a big sure. city, and it's so kind of hectic, you kind of cling to the people that you meet or that you know or that you get along right. with and then that becomes a very intense bond quite quickly you know so yeah in lieu of hacky sack sure that's right <laughs> so did you guys graduate nyu and move to la together we did not no we uh made a bunch of bad short films together and were you guys like co-directors at the time Mm-mm. we were not we had the idea with our like senior thesis film to 
uh, co-direct or co-make two films together. And we thought we would be like, we'll be like the Coen brothers, like one of those brothers duos. Um, and we realized very quickly that we aren't brothers uh, and that we don't have like the same brain and all that stuff. And so it was certainly a process to find the strengths of where we are and like working together and all that kind of thing. Um, Were you guys both like comedy people? Was that yeah, what was, you were for sure. Yeah. Relative to the NYU class, for sure. I mean, uh, I would say the larger film school population at school, at least while we were there, was very dramatic focus. There was a lot of like very yeah. intense, overindulgent student I mean, filmmaking. Comedy wasn't cool yet. Basically, Do you, for real, sure. you know, yeah. like yeah. it's a thing we talk about on the show a little bit because, like, Sam Reich was in New York around the same time yeah. so as well, all those guys, and it was just like, you know, comedy hadn't kind of come back around as a thing that young people found interesting. Like, everybody loves comedy, but like, yeah, it's not like Waverly Flams or like College Humor or even like Funny or Die or any, yeah. and none of that stuff had come around yet. So no one was like getting a TV show or starting a sketch group. Right. Well, yeah. You know. Well, also, yeah, towards the end of college, a very specific type of comedy was coming out and that was sketch comedy on YouTube. You know, sure. our, our friends yeah, yeah. Brian McElhaney and Nick Kocher started Britannic right, 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 right. and they were blowing up, but that was, we would never have made sketch comedy or YouTube specific comedy. We were, we were idolized like Judd Apatow. We right. wanted to make sure, like, sure long yeah. romantic comedies yeah no yeah. it's true so okay so then so you guys are your kids in new york you're having a great time you you kind of see eye to eye on things right when do you decide so you you move out to la you kind of figure that's that's the thing you need to do when do you decide to start working together again officially like in a you know not just like hey come crew for me sort of way and also did you i mean obviously you're from la but when did you move to la jeff uh i moved to la three and a half years ago so, oh, so um, not that long ago. Not you that long ago. You stayed in New York. I stayed in New York. I was, uh, so Reimer and I were roommates right out of college, and we had the brilliant idea to be writing partners and roommates at the same Great time. Great idea. We highly recommend Which it if to I anyone. Could give any, any, if I could give any caution to any of you out there, don't do that. Wait, <laughs> what? I, I honestly don't know why. Well, um, you know, you everything blurs together. So while I was being a bad roommate and not taking the trash out, I was also turning over revisions to pages and that can color your reaction. To it's things. just too much. There's like, there's a, the, it took us a while to figure out the level of boundaries and communication and all that kind of stuff. And just piling all of our personal lives. In front. I mean, we're friends, we're creative partners, we're business partners increasingly and you know we're and we're also roommates all at that time you know it uh, was headed quickly for a combustible uh you know kind of experience and combusted did many yeah. times i yeah. mean we got into so many fights you know we i don't think by any means did we have a early or immediate success story if it is that at all, even at this point, you know, I mean, we, how are you guys out, making money? Like out of film school, out of film school. Uh, I was PAing on, uh, an HBO show called bored to death. I was, Oh, oh cool. man, I love that show. I, Dancing. you were the, you were one of the two people who watched it. So uh, we had, did uh, Hillary Duff get you that job? Uh, she did not. Um, <laughs> she, she tried, but, uh, like, yeah, hook him up. Uh, we had Luke Del Tredici, who was a baby oh, writer at the time. He's, on that show. he was awesome. Yeah. I like totally yeah. looked up to him. He and, also was su surprised when I told him that I love that show. And I like, like it's <laughs> top twenty shows. And yeah, he was like, yeah. "What? Yeah, I would like. I was. I mean, a PA. I love the cast. It was my job to like pick him up from the subway stop and like drive Luke? him to the office. Yeah. Oh, that's and funny. I would like 
be really excited on the days where I'd like pick him up because like I thought he was so cool and he had, he had no idea who I am or what. That's so you know, funny. So anyway, yeah. You guys should hit, hit him up now. Like, uh, sure. You know, he's show running on uh, on Brooklyn Nine Nine. Oh yeah, wow. yeah. yeah. So. Make him pick you up, Ryan. Right? <laughs> yeah. Show yeah. Him make him be your up. plus one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So Reimer moves out. Uh, Wait. So you're PAing, and what were you uh, doing? I was I was working for. Uh, my first job out of college was for a company called Concert TV. Mm-hmm. They put concerts, concerts on TV. You got it. I mean, it, <laughs> and not only that, they were on demand. So you could pick whichever concert you wanted to watch and it popped right up for you to watch. And I was, uh, I got an internship because my girlfriend told me to get an internship. So I applied and I got it. And I would transcode these uh, concerts from whatever format, DVD, Betamax, whatever, onto a computer and I was like so stoked about that. I was like, I cannot believe I graduated <laughs> film school and got a job in the industry right away. Like, yeah, this you were an editor. I was so jealous. I, I was, was sitting in a porta potty in Brooklyn in yeah, February. Except the concert TV was run out of an apartment in Union <laughs> Square, and I sat in the bedroom in the back. <laughs> and you had to get through the bedroom to get to the bathroom, so people would come through while I was like watching Radiohead concerts and like sure. with a big smile on my face. Just then, waiting for the render to finish, though. Yeah, like, yeah, it's not yeah. that also, much work, like, right? Yeah. But I was so stoked. And it's then, like an idea for a movie, the transcoder. The transcoder. Like, <laughs> witnesses and murder. That's a long movie. It's just a guy watching a bar <laughs> trying to complete. And uh, eventually got bumped up to editor because um, one of the editors at the company had a mental breakdown and left. And I came to work one day and the boss said, hey, do you, you can edit, right? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, you've got that guy's job now. And I was like, cool. <laughs> I remember telling you, like, I had yeah. just gotten, like, a, signed an overall deal. Yeah. I was so stoked. And then um, the, eventually that they ran out of money. And I, we had a, I remember coming to work one day and the heads of the company were like, I know you guys thought this was a foolproof plan, but it t- <laughs> turns out it wasn't. We're out of money. Concert TV is no more. And, um, and I was out of a job all of a sudden, but my friend Matt Campbell, who worked at a company uh, that owned Billboard Magazine, The Hollywood Reporter, Backstage Magazine, and Adweek, it was Nielsen at the time, but then it, they traded it to another company. Uh, he hired me to shoot and edit digital videos for them. So it's just like you know, concert videos or interview videos, you know, my experience at concert TV obviously primes sure. me for this. Get that job, do that. For and so t- you're like, you're on set or like you're DPing and I'm like, editing and everything. Yeah. Yeah. You're I, a, I wouldn't a say predator. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was more just, that's sh- like a new term, isn't it? Predator. Yeah. Like I mean, 10 years old. Yeah. yeah it's oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, I've never heard it, it before. I'm, yeah. I was a predator. I was shooting and editing. You're and, lucky. But and, I mean, 10 years old is, is kind of a new term. Yeah. yeah. Like it's a modern term. Yeah. It, it's, um, you know, just a way to exploit people. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, did that for two years. And then uh, once again, there was a corporate restructuring and I got bumped down. They they subdivided each of the, the predators into uh, separate brands. So no longer were we all shooting the same stuff and editing it together. It was like, Jeff, you know, Matt, you go run Billboard. Uh, Hannon, you go run THR, which were like the cool ones. And it was like, Jeff, you go run Adweek. I was like, what Adweek? What's that going to be? Kind of cool. Now, I mean, I yeah, think Ad Week. Now, cool. yeah. Well, if you know, yeah. Ad Week is cool, but what I was doing for Ad Week was driving to these boutique ad agencies, setting up a camera, filming a creative director, and then editing it and putting it online. And I yeah. did hundreds of those and nothing else. It's not like I was going to the and, sets of commercials. Right? Yeah, Orin's like, yes. I'm well, a, I, I, I mean, which I, creative director? I am <laughs> curious, like, if you learned stuff about 
like commercials. So and... get get ready for the next thing because it's Here's kind of a Slumdog Millionaire because yeah, yeah. each thing links to the next. <laughs> yeah, but that I mean I think this is. Like, look, obviously you guys went to NYU and you had this, you had a friend, Matt Campbell, who, you have Reimer and you have all these people, but it's still like, we've heard so many stories of people getting the editing job because the editor quit, you know? Yeah. And they, no, were, absolutely. they were there at the time. So, yeah. I mean, this is like kind of how it works. Yeah, it, totally. And I could never have predicted. It, what's weird is that when you're first out of film school, as long as you don't have a massive chip on your shoulder, you are excited about getting to do this stuff. And, sure. and any step forward that sense of progress is everything. So it's like, okay, Billboard is an advancement from Concert TV. That's so cool. And then Adweek didn't feel as much like that, but I was like, okay, I'm running the department. That's cool. And then eventually left because I was like, I, I want to do something else. And right around that time, a guy named Greg Beecham, who was a producer out in Texas, he had just produced a movie called Searching for Sunny, which starred Brian McElhaney and Nick Kocher, uh, was moving out to New York to start a new production company because his wife Katia Beecham uh, had started a company called Birchbox which was blowing up at the time so he goes to New York and he calls Brian and Nick and he says hey man like hey guys like do you know any guys that can like shoot and edit and do all this stuff a kind of one-stop shop of of skills yeah right (laughs) and they were like yeah uh we've got a guy his name's Dan Schimpf and they called up Dan Schimpf and Dan Schimpf was busy and then they're like okay yeah then Jeff Chan I guess and so then he called me and and I went in for an interview and and he tested me out on a couple projects and it was it was uh at an ad-based production company it was Mm -hmm. it was focused on branded content and uh commercials and I was the very first hire and uh we slowly built up our business from there. And my knowledge of advertising was huge during all of that and like learn the ropes more and more. And then eventually the company has now grown into, I don't know, 20 to 25 full-time employees. I still, I'll still do a job for them every once in a while and have so much love for that place. But, uh, got the call one day from Reimer, uh, three and a half years into working at the bindery. And he said, right. And you were doing like direct writing, directing, directed first. It was everything. So shooting, directing and editing, and then as like the branded co- content, branded content. Yeah. Like lots of beauty tutorials for mm-hmm. Birchbox. Like they were mm-hmm. a retain, retainer sure. client. You're excellent at coaching a smoky eye. I get, I, <laughs> dude, I could do it. Do you think you could do it? With my eyes closed. <laughs> you could do it for real? For real. <laughs> Have I can, you done I, one before? Yeah. I mean, I can, I'm like, yeah, man. I got steady hands. I can do, I can do the whole thing. First you put on your primer and then you do your foundation. I, I, yeah, got you, I guess like filming it is different than actually doing yeah, it. Yeah. Well, but yeah, you're right. I'm not that good with my hands. But if you film like 20 of them, you're like, okay, I've got it now. Yeah. I yeah. actually gained a huge amount of respect for, for like talented makeup artists. It is not sure. easy yeah. to do. Uh, so from there, I, you know, I was doing that for a couple of years, but it, it, we were building the business. And as we gained more employees and, and better business or bigger business, I would just keep getting bigger and better looks, you know, like, okay, mm-hmm. you're going to, you're going to get a shot at bidding on your first broadcast commercial. And it's like, oh, God, sure, uh, yeah. and that stuff was invaluable. I mean, you know, I'm sure you've you've experienced this. Sure. Like, directing a commercial is like a hugely valuable thing to do. It connects to to everything, uh, television work, film work. It's it's all the same. You know, like you're working with a, a higher power who's telling you how they want it to be. No one's gonna have more oversight on you than a client and a creative director of an ad agency. So that was uh, definitely 
got tougher skin from that experience. Um, and then one day I got a call from Reimer and, and he'd been out in LA for a couple of years already building a relationship. Wait, with can him. we get the meanwhile? In yeah, LA. yeah. Meanwhile. You do this. Yeah, meanwhile. So, like so Jeff's, straight. Jeff's first job was his fancy concert TV editing job. Uh, my first job was on board to death, which was, uh, at the time it was at a, a, a non-existent soundstage in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. And it the was stages in Brooklyn are pretty but grody. It's, but it's like, but it, this is 15 years ago. This is before Steiner, any of that kind of stuff. So this was, it was a soundstage next to the New York Municipal Water Treatment Plant. Yeah, yeah. So it's New York. It's always manufacturing more shit and waste. It's always a construction site. And the AD at the time treated this construction site next door like an old man with a lawnmower. So my job every day showing up to this like fancy, cool, like this like, I'm fresh out of film school, like, oh man, I'm working right. on a Ted Dance and Jason, Jason Schwartzman, Schwartzman and Zach Galifianakis. This is the coolest show in town. And my job is I show up and the AD is like, hey, go next door and take your walkie talkie and try to get the construction sites, <laughs> the construction foreman to be quiet and stop yeah. using his pile driver. Here's a stack of Amazon gift cards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I would literally go next door every day. This is February in like 20, 2009 or 2010, something like that. And I would have, you have to sign a waiver. It's an active construction site. And you would get a hard hat and a vest and I would walk up and I would just police this area with my fucking walkie talkie walking around and like the first thing like hey guys could you uh, be a little quieter with your pile driver <laughs> and like by day two it's just like I walk up and it's just these construction crews just like hey Mr. Fucking Movie Maker there he is again oh hey you know like and it was you know just I wish uh, I had those people in LA I know and I, uh, I spent the entire winter doing this when it rained which is always in New York in the winter they would the construction crews, it's like a union law in New York that they don't work in the rain. So they would all go into their little portables, but I couldn't go back to set because that was when the construction would stop so mm -hmm. they could shoot and they would need me like making sure that they weren't going to start working again. So I spent enough time. The only shelter was this porta potty. Uh, <laughs> so I spent enough time in a porta potty in Greenpoint, Brooklyn to read the entirety of the adventures of Cavalier and Clay <laughs> sure, over the course man. of a season <laughs> of Bored to Death. Yeah. Uh, and I decided uh, I didn't you know, want to. Me step too, but anymore. I don't have an excuse. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, so that was my first job out of film school. Uh, and then I decided I didn't want to be on set for that anymore. I moved to the office for the next season. I just finagled my way into emailing whoever like was the in TV of the show. show, The Office. Uh, no, uh, to uh, the production office oh, uh, of Bored to Death season two. Okay. okay. Uh, and I was trying to find my way into. And this the is still room. in New York. Yeah, still in New York. I was creeping on Luke Del Tredici, like trying to like get him to Pass trying to figure out exactly, uh, trying to figure out my way onto a, a writer's room or anything. Um, Did you ever think of like writing scripts and like showing them to people? Oh yeah, them? yeah. We were, so all this time we were we were writing scripts. We're writing office specs. We're writing yeah. How I Met Your Mother specs. We're writing. You know, we're Everything. you know Literal. trying our. How our are whole, you scheduling time to write? Not well. Uh, it's a lot of like, I'll work a 14 hour day in the porta potty. Jeff works in the bathroom at, you know, uh, concert at TV. concert TV. And then we come home. We try to write oh, for two hours. Together at this we point. live right. together. We end up yelling at each other. And then yeah. I go back to 14 more hours in the porta potty. He goes back to the, to concert TV. So it was that. And it was, we did that for a couple years. How many scripts did you guys write? Do you remember? Like dozens? We wrote one, one feature, feature and like three, three or specs, four specs and two pilots or something yeah, like that. Yeah. So I don't know. We were at it for a little while and we couldn't get anyone to read anything. We couldn't really. 
Even if you were bored to death, you couldn't like be like, hey, Schwartzman. What do you think I don't of, know if I was too timid at the time. I mean, I was. I remember specifically when we were. So our senior thesis was uh, a weird bastardized version of the movie The Hangover. It was basically a uh, like a teenager goes to a high school party and he gets roofied. And he wakes up the next morning. So it's like a murder mystery of like who did this. And it was, mm-hmm. you know, obviously it was meant for someone else and all this kind of stuff. So it was, it was very and this was hangover before the hangover came out. But it was, so we finished, we locked picture and finished all our stuff as Zach Galifianakis, who I was working on board to death at the time, and Todd Phillips were screening it at NYU. So we literally walked out of finishing <laughs> oh, the sound design in our senior oh, thesis to a screening of that movie. And like I had remembered... I was the talent PA uh, that second part of the season and I would like walk Zach Galifianakis to set and I remember pitching him like my student film and he just had this look in his eye like, cool, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, And we were also super arrogant. Like that was, I think the thing is like, we thought coming out of school, we thought we had this amazing movie. It was entirely out of focus uh, because (laughs) I don't know, I have that problem for some reason. (laughs) To be fair, I think that um, though, especially like NYU, USC, Cal Arts. There's plenty of like film schools that like are selling the students and the parents. Yeah. The idea that they've it's a crop of little geniuses who are all going to make the money back that they invested in this f- super expensive school immediately. Mm-hmm. No need to worry. Yeah. It's yeah. a crop of Steven Spielberg's. Everyone's going to be super rich. Don't worry about it, guys. Yeah. But aside from that immediately part, it's like kind of true, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I it was or, so. Orin, I didn't go to film school. So Orin didn't go I'm to film school. We're in his house, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I was an engineer. That's why I have a house. <laughs> oh my god! Um, exactly. That's, that's what why I, I have a house. <laughs> um, no, it's a beautiful house, by the way. No, but like you're naming <laughs> he, all your friends, and they're, when I bring they're all. I mean, yeah, you got a house. They're <laughs> all successful filmmakers. Yeah, sure. I mean, they they're. I mean, doing well. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I think for me, I at 18, well, Jeff and I both, I'll speak for you too. We came out thinking that our movie was, that we were going to turn it into a feature immediately. 21, and right? it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, we're 21. Yeah, yeah. And and it was very important now in retrospect for me to spend six months in a porta potty literally learning yeah, that I was, yeah, you yeah, know. Aren't you the one that adapted The Adventures of Kevlar and Clark? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what my, uh, you know, that's my next job. Yeah. Sure. Well, uh, I also no. want to point out that, you know, uh, Andrew's dad was a screenwriter, a very successful one at that, and he was our de facto manager. And oh, we, every yeah, script yeah. we wrote went through oh, him. yeah. How first. do you not get scripts read if your dad wrote real? They apparently weren't very good. <laughs> but, well, also, we didn't, I remember there was like the rule with your dad was like, we get one favor, you know, like he was like, do you want me to use that favor? Is yeah. it the time yeah. to use the favor? Like, yeah. maybe, maybe not now. Maybe you're not like, now. Yeah, do you, know, right? you think we should like, use the favor? If Boys? I found Aladdin's lamp, I would like never use it. Yeah. I'd be like, eh, I just yeah. don't think it's worth it. Yeah. We eventually did use the favor. Was, was Provisero? We did use the favor? Pharaoh. It was Mark Provisero, yeah. who we now, I mean, he's, he's on he manages, he manages the, the Pen 15. Yeah. That was like the biggest thing. We were 20 or 22. I was, I remember being in the, Maybe I'm getting the ages all wrong, but I was in the we Board of Death yeah. office, okay, yeah. and he called on Monday. Wait, Mark Provisero called? He yeah. read our like bad office Office spec. spec. That was pretty good. It was. <laughs> we I think we used our our favor to get it in front of him, and he called like first oh, thing Provis. like it was sent to him or his people yeah. on a weekend, and like first thing Monday morning, like 
on the East Coast, I think I got a call at like 10 o'clock in the morning or something, and it was him being like, yeah, no, this is not <laughs> <Yeah>. any good. <laughs> hey, I don't know how this came across my no, desk, but, but please just, never I, contact please me do not. That's really funny. Like, I mean, please, I don't want anything to do with this. We were bugging out because he repped all the office people. So he sure. repped Mindy Kaling and BJ Novak and a bunch and, of And has a small company. You guys could have gone to someone a little more junior. Right, like his name's on the building. Yeah. Well, you know, we I think we, we had were, a problem with arrogance. I was pretty. Probably I was pretty do. sure the script was ready to yeah, go. Sure. I mean, that, just pop yeah. it in the oven. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Um, so I think that was our favor, right? Yeah, I, mean, I think so. But I also think we both had a, a a little bit of a thing. I won't call it a trip on our shoulder because I think I'm proud of this. Like we weren't like, oh, we think your your dad can help us with it. Like we never had those conversations, really. Yeah. Was, I mean, we, I think we wanted to carve out the path our, ourselves for yeah. the most part. Also, you like there are plenty of kids who have parents in the industry that don't make it. Yeah, because yeah. You, you know you have to write a bunch of scripts before you write a good one. Right, yeah. right. No, it's very exactly. true. So, like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do think if your dad is a very successful screenwriter, first of all, you don't have parents like disappointed that you're trying to be a screenwriter, probably. And second sure. of all, well, is that true? No, no, it's very true. I mean, he, my, my he was dad okay was, with it. My, like, yeah. Like yeah. our parents were not, I mean, I don't know about your, you went to film school, but yeah, my parents, my were, parents were not like, yes, go into, quit engineering and go into, you know, like, the, like art, the arts. Once you can afford a house, then you can get into filmmaking. <laughs> once you, we need to see the house first. Yeah. Pretty, yeah. <laughs> Some truth to that. Yeah. So I want to know, so Jeff, you moved, you decided to move out here, right? Why? Because you moved back here first. Oh, so I moved, I moved first and I moved chasing Dan and Alex basically. Well, really? Okay. I, not really. I'm very much moved out here because my dad was sick. Scarlett and I moved out here. My dad had been sick for seven or eight years, but when I moved out here, it was like the kind of like, my mom called me one day, like that kind of like phone call that you're like blood just runs cold it was like a week before thanksgiving and she called and basically said get in a cab go to the airport i'll buy you a ticket on the way it was like that kind of thing and i never went back i mean i did go back to new york eventually but i wasn't back in that was november and it was june before i like jeff and mike packed all my stuff up airbnb or not airbnb like sublet my apartment my my room so i moved back and then was kind of in this total haze of my dad passing away but coming out of it um when i was kind of like scarlet and i kind of talked like well my family is from la i guess there's something to be done out here you know and scarlet is your scarlet is my girlfriend and longtime partner and person and all those kind of things um but uh we she was cool with moving to la yeah she was is she in the industry as well she is yeah she's a writer and actor and um she, uh, so yeah, we moved out here and around the time when I was, I would say six or so months later, I was kind of coming out of this haze and realizing I needed to find work and everything. And Dan and Alex, our friends from school had kind of won the, you know, film school Hollywood lottery of like, they'd made the first season of next time on Lonnie for very little money, which is a, a hit web series. That's basically like the end of like every reality show where it's like, Oh, next time on this case, the show was called Lonnie. So it was like next time on Lonnie. And then there would be like a montage of teasing the next episode, but it was the bonkers. next time was like a hundred times more interesting than yeah. what happened yeah. on the current. Episode. It would be Alex would be like, Oh man, I can't believe how nice that everything turned out. And then next time on Lonnie and then they get it's abducted nice. by aliens. Yeah. Or something it's like very that, you know? worth reinvestigating. Yes. So it is quite up. good. Yeah, yeah, it is quite good. 
Uh, but yeah, so they were doing a second season. And it's and crazy that, w- that they went to NYU because when I saw it, I was like, ah, oh, these guys, they just look like they're from the middle of nowhere. They just well, like got a camera. They, they just threw were. this together. They were before they went to NYU. That's the thing. Yeah, but they were primed with all this like film knowledge and four <laughs> years of like experimenting and making things. And like, like they... Oren, you really put too much of a premium on film school. I think you are. It's still like a lot of like getting drunk and you know like shouting about movies. And and I will say, I mean, it's like mostly. I was very intimidated by Dan Schimpf in college. Like that, he was the kind of guy that walked in with the the goods. Like he had the talent right right out of the gate. Like we, he's he's one of the creators of that show. Yeah, and sophomore year, I remember we were making terrible stuff, and he was coming in with just gold. I mean, he was just one of those guys you just knew was going to become successful. So, um, yeah. yeah, film school had nothing to do with it. And then so Ben Stiller, right, saw that Yeah, show. Ben Stiller saw that. They, he was like, the, you're moving to Hollywood, kids. We're producing season two. I had made some short films with them, so I was like, I, I, I want to be around. Can I, can I help? You know, and it was, it was Jeremy Wrights, and it was a bunch of the people that, um, that we all kind of know and, sure. you know, the kind of the college humor folks. Um, but... We made that second season. They got a pilot Wait, off so of that. So what were you doing on that I was season? producing the second season with them. Uh, most, Jeremy and, and a few of us all just kind of really did all the logistics, basically. Just the production of getting this thing off the ground. We made the second season, I think, for like two or $300,000, which at the time was like an astronomical amount of right, money. For it was like more show. money than that anyone could ever That was going from $0. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I just want to pause real quick, like, so you were producing, like, when you guys were finished film school, was there, were you like, I'm going to be a director and I'm going to, like, do everything to get my career to that? Or was it always that attitude of, if I'm working in the industry, I'm successful. It doesn't matter if I'm producing or directing or writing or PAing. For me, transcoding. very specifically, it's been, like, literally, it's a, for me, I, I think I view it much more agnostically as like, I think this probably sounds more pretentious, but I find myself increasingly just referring to myself as a filmmaker rather than specifying a writer or a director or a producer, because I do kind of see it as that everything is a means to an end. Like I want to have something out right. there and I just need to, whatever the thing is where I can be additive and plug in and help something exist. You know, I mean, I, I have done. It's the predator of modern filmmaking. There you go. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, I mean, most genuinely of, though. Like, I think no, there yeah. is a reason why. It, I think it used to be back in the day that things were so specific in terms of skills that you couldn't be an editor and also a DP because, like, they were so different. Yeah. Right. And now or the people tools would are be better. like, "Let's get a real editor," or "Let's get a real DP." Well, right. but but no, literally, like, you're the technical aspects of what you had to do. Like, everyone can use a computer. Right. We're all trained from childhood now to learn computers. So that means that you can figure out how to edit and the mistakes you're making aren't cataclysmic. Right. Like you're not literally cutting celluloid anymore. And so you can practice and skill up. It's not like any one person was like so narrowly focused that they couldn't have learned those other things. But just it just took too much time and work and resources. Right. But now we can do that in the same way that writing and directing and producing are kind of all the same thing yeah. in a lot of ways. Well, I've been using that word a lot lately, filmmaker. And even today I was talking to our friend Tim Nakashi, who's been on the show before, about uh, this pitch we made to Echo, who I know I know you did a show oh, for. Oh, yeah. That. And he's like, well, are you going to, do you have any sort of guarantee that you're going to direct it if it gets made? And I was like, no, but like I'm okay with not directing it if my show gets made, you know? Yeah, like, right. 
which is maybe something I wouldn't have said like five years ago. Yeah. I, I think we've, we're learning that every single day. I mean, yeah. I, I, I uh, ascribe to that filmmaker idea as well. We've actually never, I've never heard you say that, but I was listening to it. I was like, yeah, I want to do that too. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's better it's, than content creator. Right? Yeah. Or <laughs> sure. predator for that matter. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah I think I, ne- I really didn't view myself as a director until I got a job as a director. Uh, it's weird. Even and when was that? I'm, I'm curious. The, the commercial job. That's gotcha. What, okay. so that, gotcha. 2012. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, 2012. Yeah, it was when you started that. Yeah, so 26. Yeah, yeah. 26 years yeah. old. I just was so intimidated by other directors in film schools. Like, these, everyone's so good at this. And I, I just don't know that. I am, you know, and then our, our, our student film project. Yeah, we were arrogant, but I also, it really messed up my confidence because I didn't think it was very good. And I've not, I did think it was proud of it, but then when it didn't do anything for us, mm-hmm. then it really messed with my confidence. I was like, I don't think I'm meant to do this. Like I, maybe I'll be a writer yeah, I'm, I'm a writer. That's what I am. And so then we just wrote a lot of spec scripts together because I sort of talked myself out of being a director even though I had so much fun doing it. And now I look back on it, I'm like, I always wanted to be a director. I just was too insecure to, yeah. to think of myself as one. And I think, I think my sort of crisis of confidence around directing lasted much longer. I mean, mine was up until even two years ago. Yeah. Like I really wasn't comfortable calling myself a director. I think in film school, I started mostly producing and it was mostly out of like, film school was just lousy with kids with too much money and ideas and zero organizational skills. Sure. And I just started seeing all the opportunities were like, Oh, well, if I can help this kid, you know, I'm calling them kids. I was their age, but like, you know, organize this and tell the actors when they're supposed to be there at six in the morning or what subway to take to get places or where you buy lunch or where like right. all that kind of stuff. And then I mean, out it's of school, an obvious hole, like yeah. no one is coming to film school and, and being like, Hey, I'm going to be a producer, a couple, a couple, yeah. Carrie Gologly. Yeah. from the beginning but and um, then out of school that kind of developed and became a thing that I was like I mean literally until the last year and a half that's been how I've paid rent was right. which is why you say like yeah you knew me as an AD I've sure. been a coordinator a production manager a line producer like I've been all over the map of things because I will kind of, yeah I will kind of go yeah where like, well, the, well, the need is I'll for fix a lot of those things. problems and and I think specifically to directing you know, I think there was a thing of like, I went into film school really knowing that I loved making movies and I, you know, just did what everyone did, like made a bunch of movies with my friends in high school as a form of hanging out. And then when I got to film school, there was such this, I, I call it the idea of like director with a capital D, which mm-hmm. is this very, what I would call this very sort of like masculine, you know, pure visionary kind of thing of like, I storyboard and I know everything and I am the vision and I am, and like, I've never felt that way about making movies. The word vision and all is like, it is always just pretty cringy. Been kind of like, you know, I think there's like this thing where like, there's a lot of people who will view it as like, oh, well, to be a true director or a visionary, it's like, you must be uncompromising. And I'm kind of like, I thought the whole idea was compromise. Yeah, yeah. I thought the whole idea <laughs> yeah. was, I'm making a was movie a collaboration with and, uh, yeah, and getting so people together and bringing things. Like choosing you know. the best idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so uh, uh, it was a long time before I think the actual um, seeing that there are so many different ways to do it. Actually, weirdly enough, like one of the things that act while we were in prep on plus one and I was still having a lot of this crisis 
that kind of helped pull me out of it. I'm jumping way ahead now, but was a podcast, was the DGA's podcast, which is directors interviewing other directors very much like this format. Yeah, and only, just only hearing, more, much more famous. Much, yeah, <laughs> but much just less hearing personal. people, yeah, 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 yeah like hearing, a little detached. Yeah, when, just they, when they so do know people, each other, yeah. though, it's it is yeah. really good. Like yeah. there are a couple special episodes. Yeah, there really are. Yeah, you know? so the rest is just garbage. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. The, I feel like the value for me was just the totality of, which is really just to get to know a lot of directors. Which sure. is like, there are so many different ways to do it, and so many different. Yeah, what a relief you know. to know, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I want to get to plus one, but remind me, you guys had like a breakout short film. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, Andrew goes to, to cut, moves to LA six and a half years ago, seven, yeah. seven years ago, and I'm still in New York. And then he gets the idea for plus one and uh, come out to do it. I was working as Dan and Alex's assistant at that point. And he was, and what, this is after Lonnie. Yeah. So we did Lonnie. I was the producer on that. They got a pilot. I was like, great, I'll produce your pilot. Comedy Central was like, uh, no, your buddy <laughs> will not produce your pilot. Your buddy can be your assistant if you want. And I was like, I will take it. Um, <laughs> Thanks, guys. And no, it was great. I mean, no. honestly, it was. I it's a joke, but I like that was a fantastic. I felt like I was in the motorcycle sidecar of my friends producing the show, and I got to help in every way I possibly could and see were you also what doing like the coffee like. runs or? yeah I was absolutely I was like driving them around I was like I wasn't actually answering their emails but I was yeah I was doing all the assistant stuff you yeah. know um, but also like just kind of taking that in stride and just like keep my head up and watching what sure. was going on and getting to experience secondhand everything that was happening and but while we were doing that I, I was kind of like I knew Jeff had this really cool job in New York directing a ton of commercials and reached out to him and was like, I think we should, you know, find something to restart all this or, you know, find our next step or our next Was it New Year's Eve and were you drunk and did you call him and be like, it, hey. it was actually January 2nd. I actually was drunk. Um, he was on an island. I was on an island. I was, Scarlett and I were on this very Fire. fancy island with her dad uh, and I was so her dad literally, also a I was famous literally, no, her dad is a famous photographer, but I was, uh, hammered on a beach and um, emailed Jeff, I think, or called. I can't remember. Yeah, let's say it was a call. I mean, I remember it very, very well, despite not remembering if it was a call or an email, but everything else I remember very well. I, I just, we hadn't written anything. I certainly hadn't written anything for years. Like, I, I that part of me of like wanting to make movies and television. Yeah. You're was, just cranking. Was as good as yeah, gone. I mean, yeah. it was, I was just, I was a commercial director and I loved it. I loved was your it. career. You were like repped in a good production company. I mean, it was, and... it was this company, the bindery that I was the first employee at. They'd grown to a point where business was, was flowing in and I got to, you know, take stabs at pitches consistently. I, I bought into the, to that world, a world I never understood. I could never have imagined I would have ended up in, which was advertising. But I, and what I, was your specialty? That's, Smoky cat eyes. Well, yeah. I mean, so like many beauty, beauty. I did a lot of beauty style. commercials. I mean, I've done beauty commercials for Lancome, Benefit, Birchbox, and I did a lot of stuff with startups. You know, uh, Bonobos. I did stuff with and like real people kind of montage type stuff? No, yeah, I did a, I did a lifestyle stuff, but then started to get more into like comedy stuff because I wanted to do scripted stuff, but it was half and half, sometimes real, just real people, testimonial stuff, and sometimes a script that was either handed to me or, or that I wrote. But it wasn't something that I thought about. It's not like being in New York in your mid-20s, it's 
all you're thinking about is being in New York in your mid twenties. You're you're falling in love. You're getting your heart broken. You're hanging out with your friends. You're drunk every night. And you've, if you've got a steady job doing something creative, you're happy. Like I, I and I was very happy. But uh, getting a call from Reimer, a drunk call from Reimer on January second, I was back in my my house in Ridgewood, New Jersey, with my my parents' house. And he's like, I have this idea. I, I, well, first of all, I I I have, think I have an opportunity here with Red Hour, and because um, they've they've brought up a couple times, like, right, hey, which is Ben Stiller's company that produced correct. Next Time yeah. on Lonnie and big uh, big Ho- time in Hollywood, Florida. Big, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he said, I was like, uh, I know these words, but I don't know the order. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, I, I think I think I've got an opportunity here. Like they've brought it up a couple times. Like, hey, do you have a script? And I don't have anything to show them. And uh, I just had I had this idea. And it's about these two friends and they, all their friends are getting married. And at the time, all of our friends were starting to get engaged. And so this spoke to me and he's like, uh, all of our friends are, are getting married. And, uh, and it was these two friends and just think of, uh, you and Rachel, you know, I remember you said, you explicitly said that. And Rachel's a very dear friend of ours. He's like, imagine if the two of you, and we were both singles, like imagine if the two of you had to go to like 12 weddings together and like, just like teamed up as each other's plus ones to do what we're about to do. Just like kind of like a fun when Harry met Sally type of comedy. Uh, that's these, just these two friends, like being at each other's throat. these various weddings. And it, it like, clicked in my head right away. I was like, I can see that. I get the characters. I get the stakes. I get the thesis of it. Like, let's do it. And we outlined and wrote the first draft in one month. I mean, we we flew through it because we were excited about it. It wasn't like, I think I've got an opportunity, maybe like a hybrid comedy or something. Wait, this is a feature? It was a feature, yeah. yeah. Okay. And that's what Red Hour was asking for a feature script? They Okay. They were, I think you have one thing wrong. They, nobody was asking me for anything. I was the assistant getting coffee. I was like thinking, just, I was like, just thinking like, look. Uh, how I do I stop I'm, getting coffees? Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, it I was could a little s- bit like. I could uh, sneak a script into this Java it, jacket. Exactly. Yeah. It was like, yeah, it was something like that. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, that, that we were living by coastly we were i was working in the writer's room on big time you were mm-hmm. directing commercials we were working at night and on weekends and sending each other drafts over dropbox and, and i'm assuming you got the idea because it happened to you actually i got the idea really because jacob perlin at the time was working at uh paramount and oh, he was so just you an knew old, him back then he was just an old friend of mine we had interned in uh in college, we both interned at Co- the Conan show in New York at the same time. And we were oh, the wow. only two like non-crazy people at the internship. So <laughs> and, we kind uh, of like- And listeners that don't know, Jacob is has been on the show and he's all of our managers. Correct. Not, not my manager, but everybody else's manager. Matt, who's your manager? Larry Shapiro. But no, Jacob at the time was like, listen, man, I think we'd also gotten drunk one night uh, and was like, you just- if you just get me a life cycle movie, uh, like if it's just like a guy who turns 30 and like realizes he never had a bar mitzvah and wants a bar mitzvah, uh, <laughs> like if you just write like any kind of like life cycle movie, I could sell it at Paramount like that. Wait, what's like a light? I've never heard that term. I don't know. Did he invent uh, it? But I wound up literally like I remember being half drunk on this beach and like had like a few things written in my notebook and one of them was life cycle movie and I started from there and that was like where... Plus one eventually came from. By the way, I think the Bar Mitzvah movie, I still encourage Jacob to make the Bar Mitzvah movie. Yeah. <laughs> but that was that was five years ago now, and that was the first time we wrote a draft of Plus One. Um, and we 
uh, I kept working with with Red Hour. Can I ask you like yeah. a logistical question? When you come up with that concept, are you like that's going to be an expensive movie because we have to have like twelve weddings? No, actually, no. We were more concerned tonally with the fact that it was going to be that people would think it was bad because it sounds yeah. like a bad idea. Yeah. Um, well, I remember the 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 uh, Paramount. Uh, Insurge is a Paramount insert. Their mandate and what Jacob was speaking to was one million dollar life cycle movies. Right. So come up with something that can Wait, be done. Wait, is that a real? Have you heard that term? No, life cycle. No. Yeah. So it was. We what could, is a life? What does that mean? Having kids, getting married, graduating from college, having oh, a, a bar cycle mitzvah. of life, yeah. not a rewind. No, 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 no. no, no, no. And yeah. so I remember we, we were yeah life cycle one million dollars. So we we weren't thinking of it as expensive. <laughs> we knew a big part of the fun of the concept to us was like getting navigating around that. Like Reimer and I oftentimes get attracted to stories about characters who are in the background, like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern mm-hmm. are dead. Like what is, what's their story? So the whole thing about this movie was like, let's make a wedding comedy about the characters in the background. Like, right. let's we just, never, we don't care about the bride. And it's groom. not the big reception. It's not seeing a bride in a wedding yeah, dress. The around. rental cars it's, and the weird hotels sure. and all that. It's kind of stuff. Uh, four weddings and a funeral, right? Like but same thing. Meets right? yeah. um, before sunset. What's that? What are they, what yeah. it's called? You're like kind of the, you're choosing very favorable movies. Sure. <laughs> great, to, great, films. great. You know? Um, but yeah, that was, so we wanted to navigate around the, the budget thing. But to Reimer's point, we, like we could just see the bad version in our heads either i think i pitched on the bad version i think they made it <laughs> <laughs> oh the bad versions have made a lot of times yeah, yeah oh yeah there's yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of those yeah there's a lot of those and we were very aware of that when we started writing this script yeah you know? for sure and so we really wanted to just make something in in our voice and and find a way to you know i mean at the time people were calling the romantic comedy dead a sure. lot and we were still like let's do one <laughs> love to do one and uh but that also pushed us to try to figure out ways to add a fresh new voice to it or subvert the genre in some way and that led us into some bad storytelling choices because we were anytime you're writing against the current and you're like no one's ever done this before mm-hmm. you're probably doing it wrong and, right. and we found that out once we got it, can you give us some for instances? Absolutely. I, the the I'll just be spoilery. Spoilery here is uh, originally the the main characters did not get together at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. We, that was that was something we really specifically we were Reimer, certain of from day two. We were like, they are not going to get together at the end. That's the bad version of this movie. You yeah. expect them to get together. You see the poster. You see the trailer. You're going to think they get together at the end. Well, guess what? That's not how real life works. They're not going to get together yeah. at the end. And then no one's happy at the end of the right. movie. What's the movie? There is the Julia Roberts um My movie. Best Friend's Wedding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they don't get, get together, right? They don't get together. Well... So no matter what, you're falling into some cliche. <laughs> but you, well, you want it to feel gratifying. Really, yeah, right, really, right, right. the answer is you want the audience to believe they're not going to get together. Right, right. Sure. The right. other Julia Roberts movie, Pretty Woman, you know, originally they did not end up together. Mm. And every test screening was like zero. Yeah. <laughs> and then they reshot the ending. Yeah. yeah. That, that you want that. If, as good romantic comedy makes you want those people to be together. So when that doesn't happen, that's going to your success is going to lead to disappointment right like right. that's that's a weird paradox right so and we didn't even realize it until two weeks before production when we did a this, oh, is, jump, this is jumping ahead but maya erskine who played the lead actress um lead character who's one of the leads and creators of pen 15 that's also. right and she's 
wonder she's just a, a dynamite actress and so and so probably talented. my favorite part of wine country you guys have seen <laughs> oh that. sure yes yeah, sure. yes we have she we did the first table read with just the two of us me and andrew and jack quaid and my erskine who are the two stars and we finished the table read and there's there's this kind of silence we knew something was wrong because she's such a force of nature in the movie and then they break up and then you just don't see her again and in this case we just didn't hear her voice for the last 18 minutes yeah so like, you're just hearing her quietly like just turning pizza, pages and just yeah. like nodding along like, oh, and, yeah, so, and you, was that their first time reading it uh second time we yeah, did yeah. a full table read it but then this was the first one where it's just the four of us and there's just kind of like this quiet and uh we finished like that was great guys that was great and she's like kind of lost in thought and she goes I have a question. And we're like, yeah, yeah, anything. She goes, so my arc is that my boyfriend breaks up with me. I'm depressed about it. I fall in love with my best friend. We start dating. He breaks up with me. And I get back together with my ex. And we're like, yeah. <laughs> she was like, okay, I'm just asking. Uh, <laughs> Which, it, for the record, is like the best way an actor can like give a note yeah. that yeah. effectively boils down to like, there is no I'm, I'm not well but yeah that's the real yeah. that's the smart version of it the common version is like i should be in it more which yeah. which yeah. i've heard so Much. many times yeah. Yeah. it's like so brutal yeah. so that kudos to her right yeah. like like that that's a, a thoughtful because an actor's job especially at a table read but always is just to be mindful of you know the arc for their character mm -hmm. right so um Right, finding like the growth and the yeah, truthfulness. Yeah, yeah. she's that. keeping yeah. tabs on her character in a way that no one else ever will, right? You know, to your best of your abilities, you're keeping an eye out for it, but she's living it in a way that we're not, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and we were two weeks away from shooting and we wrote it, the, the ending, we tried to figure it out. Um, we didn't have it figured out until mid-production and we came Ooh, up with an ending. Wait, this is like it. the third, like the last 20 minutes of the movie? It's the, the last, last. It's the five? last last five minutes of the movie. Yeah, we wrote it and we told. Yeah. We sent the pages to Maya. She called us. She said, "I just cried. You guys got it." Uh, then we yeah. We were in production for like three weeks, where Jeremy and JP and Lisa yeah. and our whole production team just had like ending to be written by yeah. Jeff and Reimer. <laughs> yeah, we whenever they we get it. around to it, yeah. like dot we're not dot trying dot. To schedule a movie or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. So did you have like a big? third act set piece that you knew you were going to have regardless of what the last five pages are going to be? Uh, I wouldn't call it set, a set piece, but yeah, there's a final wedding. and uh, But, you know, we would get together on the weekends and try to figure out what that ending was, knowing that she was going to come back. Uh, you guys are making me so nervous. And I know that it's a happy ending, and it's still <laughs> yeah. Well, it was terrifying. I was like, okay, did, maybe maybe he's on his couch, and she knocks on the door. No, that doesn't. Maybe they meet at a coffee shop, and they just like sit down for coffee. No, no, that's not right. And just kept trying to figure out because we knew we really wanted oh. to. It's a movie about weddings, and we we're like, how do we incorporate weddings into this final thing? And then we solved it, and we we're like, okay, yeah, it's it's we got it and and uh it, it is it involves a location we already had mm -hmm. so we were able to bring that to our line producer jeremy and say like we got it right. here are the pages right. the actors are stoked this is where we're going to do it and he was like great i'll give you guys two hours on that that morning and you shoot the ending <laughs> wow <laughs> that is so good can you give us any other like thoughts or tips or tricks in terms of like entering your first feature what you guys would have done differently or what worked great well can we ask the real just real quick how you guys got it greenlit and who paid for it yeah. yeah so we totally missed your your question about okay. the short film but this sure. is actually where it come, comes oh great play. perfect we were ready to go with our movie we write the script in a month we get we get 
an, an actress attached. And, and we did get, you know was her? this Maya at this point? No, no, okay. it was someone we, else. Should we say no? Right? I don't Maybe not. Think yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Is it someone we would have heard of? I don't think it was yes. Just, yes, it was. We were very excited, and um, then we got financing, and it was like the dream come true. I mean, it, based on the actress. Yes and no. It was weird because she eventually dropped out to do a different rom-com and then we got two other actors and then we got financing Mm -hmm. and i wait so so did the financing go away in between her yeah our financing we'll talk about yeah (laughs) well the financing was on and off on and it was like a a faucet that was like broken and it was like sometimes it would turn on sometimes it would turn (laughs) on with the same company the whole time no no different different financiers and um uh, but eventually we get it. We get it all sorted. We have our. We have and our, you're attached as co-directors, like from day yeah. one. Correct. Yep. And that was sort of that was sort of the crazy thing is like we got this script. We got it to Debbie Liebling and Jackie Cohen at Red Hour. They liked it. They really wanted to produce it. They were for whatever reason excited about us as directors. Yeah. Uh, and did you show them anything you had directed before? No, nope. I literally don't think we did. No, nope. I don't think anybody <laughs> had seen, seen anything. They they had not seen our weird student film they it's had not seen, seen nothing yeah. but they we clearly knew that you that andrew knew how to I, produce i had TV worked show. with them for several years but like i had not <laughs> directed a feature or anything yeah. but just a, they would send us on meetings with actors and we did okay with a couple yeah. of them like we yeah. would with like people who could open a movie we would sit and just talk them into yeah did you show them pictures or inspiration or we, mood no, boards it was or, literally, literally just, just got like you didn't like to have like an ipod nope. uh, playlist nope. that you're like listen to this nope. as we t- paint the picture it was just these two hour long lunches where you you just with your with idea. famous people yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and um which was surreal because i was you know, I'd get back on a plane and i would fly out each time we had one of these meetings take oh, the meeting man. and then fly back to new york how Hollywood did you feel? It felt very Hollywood. It was crazy. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'd fly in, take these actor meetings, fly back, and it felt amazing. I was like, holy shit. But you shit. were paying for it yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and uh, eventually get our, our, our two actors attached that we were excited about, got financing. I walk into work and sit down with Greg Beecham, who started the bindery, and said, like, I'm, I'm, I got, it's my time here as a full-time employee is, is over. But... You know, he came on as a producer of the film too, and we had a tearful cool. goodbye. And yeah. I, I what, what was what was he bringing as a producer to the film? Uh, a ton. I mean, he was not only was he a uh, our first investor; he was the first person that showed that there was money into the project. Uh, he was also a huge advocate for us as directors and could speak to yeah. certainly my How special, right? Yeah, like, yeah, that's incredible. And so, Red Hour isn't like, hey, we're going to put the mo- all the money. No, Red Hour was not. At no point was Red Hour the money, and they yeah. weren't ever yeah. purporting to be. They were just like, "Look, we'll be the energy and the wind and the sails right. and, and the connection." We'll set up all these actor meetings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Oh, Red Hour is making this movie. You Google Red Hour. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly, exactly. Uh, but our at this point, uh, so Jeff moves out here. Wait, uh, do you ever meet with Ben Stiller to pitch in the movie or anything? We did That's not. A funny story, but yeah, uh, we uh, so we uh, Jeff moves out here. We're a couple weeks from production. And our financier, we get a bad phone call. Our financier's pulled out. Our financier was Anthony Scaramucci of... No way. Of... The Scooch? The Smooch? The Mooch? The Mooch. The Mooch. Uh, yeah, at that like time, he was a, a weird Wall Street guy who was uh, trying yeah, to get into He was film, probably buddies with Manukin or something. I'm sure he was. Manukin. Uh, yeah. So we had, like, we had, you know, all of the things. And, and it was sort of funny. It, to this point, it was like... Everyone we'd said like, oh, we wrote a script and we're like trying to make a movie. Everyone was kind of like, 
fuck you guys. Like that's really fast to like you get sure, something. Sure. Like you get actors, yeah. you, get producers, remember, you get producers. Because like, we had coffee together right before you were going to start shooting. Yeah. And then uh, that was literally right before probably the Christmas break. It would have been like 2015. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we got a phone call right like literally the Friday before everyone goes away for break. Wait, yeah. so this is 2015. 2015. So Four we, years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And the movie so, is out in theaters So that's what I'm now. saying. Is like literally we're talking about 2014, like January 2nd, is me calling Jeff saying, Jacob Perlin gave me this idea for a life cycle movie. We start writing the movie. By, you know, end of 2015, we have already cycled through a few actors, found financing, are about like for, far into prep, have half of our crew. Jeff has quit his job. Jeff has yes, quit his job. Yeah. We have all of our locations scouted. And We're did Red Hour help you find that financing? Yes. Yes. We're supposed to. They were they were repped by WME either at the time or still. I'm not sure. But yeah, it was WME basically was the connection. And they, they've, yeah, they know the smooch. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we were supposed to start shooting in like February of 2016. And the bottom completely fell out. Um, Scaramucci found a better purpose for his film fund uh, to go into politics instead. Uh, and, uh, and so we had to pay tens of thousands of dollars out of pocket to our crew that had been working for like two months. Wait, what do you mean working? Like they had prepping? Been, like we'd we'd prepped, been scouting, we'd prepped, we'd booked locations, we'd like hired the whole cast at this point. It wasn't just like two attached actors. It was like yeah, 50 actors. We had like, like everybody. Wait, like, but yeah. no one had worked yet. Uh, all our of our crew, crew that had prepped. So like we had a production designer, we had a casting director, we had. So you give them all kill fees. Yeah. Correct. But out uh, of pocket. Yeah. Correct. Out of yeah. your own pocket. Out of called, our own pocket. We called WME and asked them if they would subsidize it, and they laughed in our faces. Yeah. Yep. Like, well, it was amazing. Yeah. So that sucked. Wait, uh, so they, you started working with $0 in the bank account? Oh, yeah, for sure. It was very smart. You know. Well, you know, you're having those calls every single day where you're like, hey, so when's that money going to come in? They're like, it's coming. It's right, coming, it's coming. right, yeah, right, right, yeah. right. I mean, and there's there. a moment where your line producer is like, hey, we don't start doing this stuff. We're not going to actually For sure, get yeah. to make a movie. So you just kind of For like sure. yep. make those phone calls. Exactly. So we the movie completely exploded over the holidays. And our producers all tried to save it. Everyone worked really hard to try to salvage it, find other financing. It didn't happen. We had to let the cast go. We had to let kind of everyone go. And then we spent a solid year to year and a half kind of you know, penance for our yeah. <laughs> and were you directing commercials in LA at the time? Yeah, I would. I would. I was still working with the bindery, so they would. You know, they just the rep bat, you as an LA director. The bat phone would ring, and often at times I would fly back to New York and and do a yeah. job and then come back. So. Yeah, there's nothing better than being an LA director. They fly around, oh, right? It's the best. Yeah, yeah. Like, but you're yeah, paying. You rent get more in work. LA. That way. I'm paying rent in LA. I'm yeah. living in a one bedroom in Echo Park that uh, attached to a skate park. So to listen to the crazy kids. Right. So the movie's dead for a year. Our reps are like, it's time to let it go. You got dumped. It's you got to stop bringing it up. How did you get your your reps are repping you as a writer director duo? Uh, yeah. So Jacob Perlin is has been our manager. We were I was his buddy when he was at Paramount. I would creep onto the lot and hang out with him. And you know when he moved over to Anonymous, um, I don't think I'm blowing up his spot to say that he didn't exactly feel like he knew what he was doing quite yet. And he was like, well. Uh, uh, you're my first client, and that whoever that guy is that hangs around <laughs> out with you all the time. <laughs> yeah, I really uh, bring got, him on too. I really got grandfathered into having a manager. I didn't know how to do anything. <laughs> to be fair, you had a, a real commercial directing career sure, at the time. Sure. And Anonymous, I did not. Anonymous has like right. a yeah, it uh, did make some yeah, long yeah. history with that. Yeah, like uh, but um, yeah, so that was that. And then with in working with Jacob for a while, we met with Ferv and 
they are awesome. And we oh, you guys are at Verve? Them. We're at Verve. Oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah. So we actually have agents, which yeah. is yeah. really cool at, in this moment. Yeah. But then the big, the big moment was we had uh, two bindery commercials land in L.A., uh, one that was going to shoot on a Wednesday and a Thursday mm-hmm. and one that was going to shoot on the Monday and Tuesday following the weekend. And we got a great rig for it. Great, great uh, p- camera package. And uh, Jeff was directing both of them. I was producing them. I was directing the Wednesday, Thursday one, oh. not the next one. But I was pretty nervous about it because it was like a short film for The Hollywood Reporter. And we got like anamorphic lenses. Mm-hmm. Two cam- it was like, it was a thing. And uh, I was just remember being really nervous about it. And the Saturday before the shoot. No, 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 Monday. Was it really Monday? Yeah, it was Monday. Really? Yeah, we had one day. I really. Oh did. my god! <laughs> the Monday before the Wednesday shoot, we went to see the the new Ghostbusters movie at the Vista, and I'm trying to blow off some steam, and I'm sitting there with like my popcorn, and Primer comes walking up and like sits down with his big Coca Cola or whatever, and he's like, "Hey, man." Um, I'm going to say something to you. Like, don't get stressed out. And I was like, I'm already, you just stressed me out. What is it? And he goes, we've got all this gear straddling a weekend. We're not going to be returning it between the two shoots. What if we like shot a short film over the weekend? And I was like, when are we going to write that short film? He was like, tomorrow <laughs> this so is like, after your movie blew up right? yeah yeah this yeah, is yeah. A, this yeah, is a yeah. year later this yeah, is yeah. a year later you guys have come out of the darkness and you're like yeah and and no we're still in the dark we're yeah still, yeah sure we're pretty this depressed. is like your midlife crisis yeah. basically yeah. and yeah, he, yeah. he just and remember it was right before the movie started he's just like we can we'll write it tomorrow and i was like okay yeah let me think about it and so <laughs> the movie starts and i'm just like thinking about the short film i have to shoot on wednesday and thursday i'm like you're you're cramming in another short film and uh you called me the next morning and you said, if we're going to do a short film, the only way we can do it is if it's a one because what, we're going to ask all our friends to come be crew voluntarily between being a crew on two commercials. We can't do like a 35 setup day and try to jam it in and try to get them to work for free. We need to do something that has like bare minimum crew, like a focus puller and a camera person and we'll pre-light it, you know. Yeah. And so do you have like a stage or something? Nope. No, we use our friend's house. So we're like, okay, so the idea has to be a one Yep. and we'll do it. And if it works, it works. And do you think it a one takes longer than no, like I mean, coverage? It, well, what it did was it took longer, but what we found was, so the, the movie we wound up making was something we wound up calling pregame. It was a movie that took place of a bunch of friends at a new year's Eve party. But essentially we came up with that sort of simple idea and wrote a rough draft of it. But then what we did was just, called all of our friends together that are actors and that we wanted to work with and we're like hey could you come over on saturday and we'll read this and we'll put it on its feet and we'll see how it feels and for the most part it felt like crap at first and we kind of finessed everything and figured out like what would be interesting for little conflicts and scenes and the little thing we did just to make ourselves feel a little bit better was uh we wrote the character from plus one alice into pregame and we mm. renamed her Alicia. But Very everything else was the same. She's drunk. She's not over her ex, Nate. Her friends have to deal with her. And we we're like, look, we get to do some version of Plus One. One of our favorite characters from that movie. We get to do that. And let's cast our friend Maya Erskine to right. play her. Which is crazy because she would eventually go on to play Alice. Which we could never have predicted in, in that moment. But oh, interesting. we were like, we yeah. know she can play this role. It would be so fun. And uh, so she played Alicia as well as all of our friends who ended up being in Plus One are also in pregame. 
And uh, we did that first commercial on the Wednesday and Thursday. On the Friday, we woke up. We went to our friend Aaron Schroeder's house. We prelayed it, and we sat in a circle with just our, the two of you were like lining everything. Uh, no, our, our, DP, our, our cinematographer, yeah, guy, guy, guy Godfrey. Godfrey, who shot the, those two commercials as well as he would go on to shoot plus one. So sure. he uh, of all the people to ask to work for free, DPs are the easiest, right? Because like Especially they make when great you've money, given them a job. Yeah, you've got. And after. They're fine. They're yeah, fine. Yeah. And, yeah. He, and he was. Yeah. Uh, but we all sat in a circle, all the actors and me and Reimer, and we read the script and we just took ideas from. How them. long was the script? Nine pages, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Nine pages for a four and a half minute short. And how many characters? Wait, seven? Eight, you eight, said eight, nine eight. pages for a four and a half minute short? Nine pages, yeah. Oh, interesting. Because it's a one-er, so it's uh, the so dialogue kind of moves. Yeah. You know, you don't have yeah. an establishing shot or right. cutting somewhere. It's just like, it just goes. Uh, yeah. So, and our friends are so wonderfully, our actor friends are so wonderfully talented that we were... It's yeah. a real dumb question, but where do you have all these actor friends from? And the NYU School, world? Yeah. You know, some from UCB, just, they're all just like people we hang out with. I mean, I don't know, we... This blob of people has just grown and grown and grown. Yeah, and yeah. a lot of them are just, all of us, you know, coming up have always just been hungry and trying to work and supporting each other through failure and all kinds. I mean, but you, you know, know that just, they're like all good actors. Yeah, they're not for sure. just your friends. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're all people that we are excited about and feel like we don't get to work with enough, you know. And so, you know, we sat in, sat in a circle and just talked through it, and people gave ideas and, and we, which reshaped the script. And then, we very quickly put it on its feet and with guy the dp walking around pretending to be the camera and he would stop and place him like oh that can't happen because that line is 180 degrees behind me and i can't get the camera around so we'd be like oh you, you lose that line you say this and then the camera can keep rotating and it was super fun to do and uh we then with the saturday uh, and was there anyone that was giving notes and you're like like uh no we can, it's not gonna be no one's gonna kill someone no one's gonna like anyone giving crazy notes that you no had to, like, no not, not at all i don't think yeah i don't think so i think we all kind of knew what we were trying yeah. to do with this little like one act play kind of thing it, it felt more like fi film school in a way mm -hmm. where it wasn't like crazy ideas like that but there were moments where someone would just raise their hand and be like hey i'm sorry what <laughs> uh, it seems like everyone's got a pretty clear objective but i don't really know what mine is <laughs> right. oh rary okay yours is this and you're like okay cool um, but That's then on, on the Saturday afternoon, we went back, uh, guy put the camera on, we did a final read through, then we started blocking it and with the camera. And then once the sun went down, we started shooting right away, 8 PM and we had to wrap at 1130 and yep. we did. Oh, nice. How many takes? I think it was, uh, 16, uh, maybe nine full, nine full, full takes. Yeah. Uh, and we used the final one. Yeah. Awesome. We, we knew we had, we were like, that's it. Wrap it. Call it. And yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, you can talk about what happened after that, but we made another one a couple of months later. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's what's the what's well? The, that, that's the thing that yeah. ended up leading to oh, uh, sure, Vimeo staff pick yeah, film yeah, festival yeah. sort of situation. What's, oh, we uh, well, we did get technically to one film festival. We were at Santa Barbara. That was cool. Oh, that's a good I called festival. It, I call it the Sundance of Santa Barbara. Yeah, <laughs> but no, we uh, we got like we've submitted to everything and yeah. got we got into Santa Barbara. No, no, yeah. no shade on Santa Barbara, which we is got rejected from literally everything. It, oh, that's so a very fun. good festival. Yeah, yeah. No, it was great. Yeah. It was great. Um, so that's a funny one. It's funny how like you can get rejected from so many, and you're like, I'm increasingly, I'm like, increasingly seeing that the festival thing is a weird racket, and that it isn't actually like the reflective of people. Like, yeah, yeah, I just see so many people who make really great stuff and then get really disheartened because they don't get into stuff. And it's because festivals have. I mean, I'm saying this with zero authority, but they have like 
an agenda and what yeah. type of movie they want to program. Yeah. And if your movie isn't that type of movie, then they won't program it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just like so, so much, much yeah. out there that they, yeah. they rely on other indicators yeah. too. Yeah. So it's yeah, like, that's true. Oh, have I heard about this movie? Have I heard of someone in this movie? All yeah, of yeah. those things, you know, yeah. but, um, but that short pregame would get us a Vimeo staff pick. And, uh, and then the next one, both both pregame and post party, the the follow up we made. Uh, did you guys know anyone at Vimeo? How did you submit? To... I think Greg does and did. did. Someone knew them and and sent it over, and they uh, Laura Turner Garrison is her name, and she she watched and she contacted us and was like, I want to I want to staff pick these and and potentially develop it as a a series with you guys. Yeah, back and when Vimeo, Vimeo. Made original content. Yeah. Right, 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 right. The high maintenance days. Yeah, exactly. And um, then it exploded. So then that exploded too, uh, <laughs> and and uh, but the good thing that came out of it was a, a couple executives at a company called Studio Seventy One saw the <laughs> shorts and called a general meeting with us, and uh, uh, they sent over a script for a a Great Gatsby high school t- high school uh, sort of like she's the man with the Twelfth <laughs> Night. It was like, going to be great. And they're going to cast it with a bunch of YouTubers, and yep. we were going in with a take to direct it. Yep. And went in, sat down, like, okay, here's how we would do this script. And they're like, no, 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 no. That doesn't exist anymore. Our, our boss got <laughs> fired. The, uh, great. I'm the so, great Gatsby in high school doesn't I'm so exist. So glad anymore. we spent seven uh, hours coming up with a take for yeah. that. And uh Oh man. And they're like, What else what else is going on with you guys? And we just talked about other stuff and uh and then eventually we're like, All right, great meeting you guys. And as we were getting up, Reimer was like, Wait, actually, we have we do have this one other thing that's like dead, but we'll just tell you about it and, and pitch plus one sort of in like 10 sentences. And they're like, well, that sounds pretty cool. Can you send us this? Is there a script? And we're like, yeah. Like, Can you send it to us? And I'm like, yeah, they sent the script. And eight days later, we got a phone call from Jacob Pearl. And he was like, how much money do you need for plus one? And we're like, we told him. And he was like, cause studio 71 interested. And we're like, what? And wait, how many digits was the number that you told him? Seven, uh, six, s- seven, seven digits. Oh, six. We did say six digits. Yeah. 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 Six digits. And uh, a week later, I remember I got a d- knock on my door and it was Reimer and I answered the door and he was FaceTiming me. So I'm like, open the door and there's just like a phone in my face. And he was FaceTiming me with Jacob. So, but I couldn't see Jacob's yeah. face because he's pointing the camera at me. And I was like, what's going on? And, and he was, Reimer was like, Jacob, tell him. And Jacob was like, Studio 71 is going to close the financing on plus one. You've done it. <laughs> and we were what? like, what? What? I screamed, we cried. I mean, it was every single emotion. Yeah. Just when we'd accepted that it was dead forever, it came back. And four months later, we were filming it. Whoa. Rock and roll, guys. And where and did what, you film it? Around here, all around LA. Oh. And how long ago was that? Fall of 2017. Yeah, October, gotcha. November yeah. 2017. Yeah. Wow. Well, so we know it premiered at Tribeca. Everyone loves it. You're, you made Maya Erskine into a star. Um, I think my is plenty for that. Um, <laughs> and so, what's next? What is that? What is premiering a film in Tribeca and having like all this history? Uh, do you guys are people asking you for what your next script is, or do you get to go pitch on other people's scripts? We're kind of doing both. Uh, we're we're working on another feature. We're pitching takes on all kinds of you know different things. Uh, we're working on a TV. One of the Thing, some of the things that we started developing in the uh, the Scaramucci years, um, we uh, are, are picking back up and, and working on. Um, so yeah, we're working and trying to, you know, I, I think 
we've now come to a realization that all of this is a weird horse race that's completely unpredictable. So we're trying to set as many things Mm -hmm. off, knowing that plenty of them will break legs and take five years to ever get to any sort of meaningful destination. Wait, in Uh, the horse race analogy, you own all the horses. They're buying buying more horses. You buy all the horses. They're all very cheap and expensive horses. And and you hope that just one of them crosses the finish line. Yeah. If if that happens, then it's an animal cruelty analogy for ideas. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's awesome. That's it. I feel like that's it. How to be a filmmaker 101. Well, cool. Should we move on to unpaid endorsements? I I suppose we should. Let's do it. Unpaid endorsements. Do you guys have anything? Oh, my unpaid endorsement is so ready. So I'm so hot on Chernobyl. I can't. We go to so many generals these days talking about romantic comedies, and I just try to divert (laughs) the conversation to Chernobyl as fast as possible. It's the greatest show. I have nothing to do with it. I just think it's fantastic. I am so impressed with the filmmaking and the writing. I feel, I also find that I'm the one that like takes up weird mantles on shows and movies like this that nobody that I know is watching. So yeah, uh, everyone that listens to this podcast, I assume plenty of people are already watching Chernobyl, I hope, but. Yeah, we've even gotten a couple endorsements of it. Oh, there you go. Wow. This might be the first triple oh that's good i want to endorse my favorite movie of last year it's a korean film called burning it's on netflix now uh rhymers heard me talk about this movie a lot it stars steven yoon from the walking dead as well as a couple like incredible korean actors uh and um it's just a really complicated difficult to understand movie in a way that I really like. It really challenges your expectations of a movie. It does not operate in three acts. It, it operates in a weird, meandering, poetic kind of way, but the performances are so wonderful and, the, and it's just wrought with tension the whole time. It's two hours and like 40 minutes long, uh, but uh, it's just wonderful. I'm, I'm really into showing all sides of Asians. And I think uh, Koreans, the South Koreans are doing that best right now. They're, they're really doing some great characters over there. And Steven Yoon just plays this like sociopath in it. And I'm, I'm really into that. So yeah, watch Burning. I really Burning. wanted you to, to pitch La La Land three years later. Um, I also love La La Land, guys. <laughs> so does Orr. That's I perfect. I really love La La Land. <laughs> A three-year late endorse, unpaid Did endorse you just La La watch it? No, 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 no. no. I, seen it I wonder times. if, if like, the Land. artist holds up. Because that's yeah. a movie I like loved when I saw. And I yeah. haven't yeah. seen it again since. Yeah. Yeah. I bet no. That I dog, no. though. Yeah. That dog is good. Oh. That's true. Um, you got, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I've got a little bit of a two-parter. Um, do you guys know Last Remaining Seats? No. No. It's a screening series put on by the Los Angeles Conservancy where they do um, classic movie screenings uh, downtown. So like the Orpheum, the Million Dollar Theater, kind of those old um, movie palace theaters that they do like summer screenings for. And it's always really great. It's like uh, at the Orpheum, they have like an organ player come out and do like uh, an an incredible like live show as you're like sitting down, you're having your popcorn and stuff. Um, so that, in general, Last Remaining Seats is an awesome time. But I went and saw Rebecca, Hitchcock's Rebecca, uh, this weekend. And Great movie. I, I lump, like, a lot of those kind of, like, middle era, like, black and white, like, single word Hitchcock movies together. So, like, Spellbound and Rebecca and, like, 
Notorious. Uh, notorious. Yeah, yeah, they all kind of get lumped together. Rebecca is so bonkers. Only movie won Best Picture for, right? Is that right? Yeah, I think so. I um I met my wife in the Hitchcock class and I wasn't paying attention at all. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there you go. Um, worked out for, for me. It's okay. Uh, but yeah, so Rebecca is like this weird mix of tones. It's like pretty funny and broad up top. There's like, you know, like a lot of comic relief characters. And then it goes into this weird like psychological like torture and then it flips the script again and becomes kind of like a courtroom procedural all in one movie it's pretty tight it's pretty order nice. already did it <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> so uh so it's a real treat and also there's like a ton of like short winners in it where yeah. you'll you'll like start on you know some detail of the scene right and then pull into a close, and then into two, to a two, and then into a wide, and then a crossfade out. And that's a lot of the scene work. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's... Uh, and it feels natural. feels right? totally natural. You know, like, look, nowadays, I think we'd, like, throw a little bit of, like, a stabilization on some of those moves here and there. But, like, you have to really be paying attention to catch yeah, what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, warp stabilizer hitch. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Bro. <laughs> bro, bro, bro. So do you guys know Dig, D-I-G-G? They, like, mm-hmm. curate... Yeah. Uh, articles. Like as in dig.com? Yeah. Oh, like, so, like back in the day, it used to be like before Reddit was yeah, a it huge was the, thing. It was, it was like the, the back page of the internet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they, so I get an email from them every day with interesting articles. And on Mondays, they have this uh, segment called Good Question, where they just take all the best like advice questions, like Dear Abby type questions mm-hmm. of the of last week. And they're just, they're so good. And I kind of feel like I learn a lot about etiquette and everything from there. But um, if you just Google like dig, D-I-G-G space good space question, you'll find like a bunch of them. But like today's was uh, like the the first question they had is, why is my former boss asking me to kick him in the crotch? Uh, and it's like this woman who uh, she just works like in an office, regular office, but her boss is like really good at like martial arts. And he like keeps offering to teach her self-defense and he's married and she always goes to his house and he like, like does exercises with her, and they swim laps, and then he like has her kick him in the crotch as hard as she can until to see how much pain he can handle. What? And she's like, "But there's never anything sexual about it. Like, what should I do? Should nah, I stop?" He offered to pay me like a hundred and fifty dollars uh, if I can make him like if I can give him pain. But he said he'd give me twenty dollars, or I have to pay him twenty dollars if I don't do it. Like, I and I nah. kind of need the money. Should I do it? And what would you think the advice would be? That 100% no. is some yeah. kinky shit that yeah. you're just like. Don't so that's what that. I would think. And the advice, it's from this guy. I think it's like Dan. Um, the advice columnist is Dan Savage. And he says, he says basically, like, if you need the money, then ask him if he'll give you $250. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> and just, God. And just, I, and just I, say these are the limits. Like, there's, it's not like, just put it all out there. Like, I'll kick you in the nuts. If that's like what you want i don't mind doing she said she like kind of enjoys doing it so he's like yeah go for it well which, there you go which is so weird because usually the the advice all boils down to one of two things one is talk about your feelings mm-hmm. um and then but two it's as long as you're not trying to tell people what they should do with their life mm. um, yeah and otherwise like there's one question where it was like uh, when we stand on our porch on our second floor, we can see all we can see our neighbor's yard, and it's always filled with like a ton of dog poop, um, oh. and it just is an ugly view. And is it weird if I ask my neighbor, who I don't know very well, to pick up dog poop because because it ruins our view? And the advice was like, 
yeah, that's weird. It's their yeah, yard. Totally you don't weird. have to, they, yeah. they don't have to yeah. pick up their nose. Yeah. Um, but so I don't know. I just like love. I can. I've been like trying to. I mean, this is not great stuff to just share with the world. But I've been trying to find the show to pitch based on these articles because <laughs> they're just like every question is gold and it's all about relationships and yeah. it's all about etiquette and it's all about like workplace like sure. relatable things. So I yeah. love it. Dig uh, good question. That's pretty good, man. Awesome. Thanks. Well, guys, uh, where can listeners find out more about you? Well, uh, Plus One is now out on iTunes and Amazon and VOD and all that stuff. So oh, and it's can... PLUS, right? Not the plus sign. Uh, yes, Correct. PLUS. Uh, And O-N-E, right? Not the one. That's right. Yes. Uh, Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. Type out plus one. uh, And you can see that on anywhere you rent uh, movies online or buy movies online. And then uh, we also have the the short films are on my Vimeo page, Jeff Chan. And Uh, we'll have all of that stuff in the show notes as well. Great. Do you guys have like a Chromeo.com or whatever? Your combined name is? Not yet, but we We don't. Let's get that going. Dreamer. We have a, a domain name to be purchased. <laughs> Chan Noble. Yeah, I like Chan Noble. It's a yeah. Jeff Chan and Andrew's favorite TV yeah, Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. A dystopian South Korean yeah. radiation star. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. Do you guys tweet or anything? At the real Jeff Chan for me. And this guy I'm is, at his rhyme time, but I I'm impossible on the internet. It's sure. he doesn't. <laughs> good luck. To he you, doesn't. Buddy. He's got he's got hundreds of people <laughs> pending request friend requests right now. He does not. He is, says no to them all. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of our marketing guy. Yeah, yeah I, I for handle sure. all of our social right. media. I just want advertising background. Yeah. <laughs> yell about it to strangers. Um, cool. Awesome. Well, you can find out more about our podcast at justshootapod.com and everything we talked about today. You can email us. Just shoot a pod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're on all social media at just shoot a pod. And I'm on Instagram at OKaplan. And I'm at Mr. Madden This episode was produced by Madeline Rosewatt, edited by Jay McAuliffe, and our webmaster is Ewan Williams. The music you're listening to right now is by the artist Jazar and the Free Music Archive. Leave us an iTunes review. Thanks. Thanks. Bye.